Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast. It's our 72nd episode. This is a mid-month podcast and a slightly different one at that um, because I'm actually going to be interviewing my co-host. So normally Andy um, and I deliver the GPS Training Podcast, but this time Andy's got no notes in front of him because he is the guest on the podcast. So welcome Andy to this special Andy Air podcast. Hello, thank you, John. <laughs> so it's a special podcast because this weekend Andy is doing the Spine Challenge Race. Again, if you've been listening to the podcast over the last few months, you'll know this is the place. So I thought before he starts, it's actually the Wednesday before he starts on the Saturday. He's actually taking a day off work on Friday. How dare you, Andy? We've got to sign in. We've got to get my number and have a photograph taken. Very good. I thought, right, let's get Andy on the podcast. Let's get into what it is, what he's doing. Um, let's all learn about the uh, spine race as a whole and uh, yeah, let's understand on the journey that he's, he's, come, uh, he's come to to get here. So, yeah, Montaigne Spain Challenger Race, Andy. So, if people don't know, there are two, well, there's actually three Montaigne races, aren't there, um, over that same weekend yeah. or week, rather. So, Montaigne, obviously the main sponsor. Um, the Spine, I think they call it the Spine because we always talk about the Pennine Way which is where basically the races take part has been the spine of Britain. So, yeah, um, they do them in the winter and the summer. I'm not brave enough to do the winter ones yet, but in the summer ones, so this weekend, there's, I like the way they call it, the spine sprint, which is a short 46-mile sprint. Certainly a lot more than the sprint, I would think. So that's the first one, the sprint. They've got the one that myself and my friend Jane are doing, which is the Challenger, which is 109, 110-mile, give or take. And then the, I was going to say crazy people, uh, I might be one of these people in the future, I think it's amazing, but the one's actually doing the full spine, which is the full 262 miles of the Pennine Way. Fantastic, and that starts off in the Peak District and then ends up in Yetim in the Borders, doesn't it? Yeah, so they all started E-Deal, the ones for the summer one, so they all started E-Deal. The one that I'm doing finishes just north of Hawes. I might pronounce this incorrectly because I've heard different pronunciations, but somewhere called Hard Row, I've been pronouncing it, so that's the challenger. Um, The sprint actually finishes where our checkpoint one is at Hebden Bridge, and yes, the full one goes all the way to Kirk Yetim. So the first question is, Andy, why? Why? Um, a few reasons um, that all come together. I had been thinking for some time, um, I just wanted to do a challenge, uh, challenge myself with something more than just the normal day walks I do. I've done the Great North Runs before, and I'd thought about training and getting myself fit enough to do a marathon thought I've got to an age in life I'm not going to say my age but an age where I thought I just need a challenge and just need a challenge and even mentally just for my own I suffer sometimes a little bit from anxiety and I think actually having a challenge and aiming for something um just does so much for you mentally um but I thought about the marathon but then a friend of mine who did the Montaigne or took part in the Montaigne Spine Challenger last year had asked me a few times do you not fancy something like this and my answer was no, you know, 108 mile, I've never done anything like that before, walk, runs, probably cycles all I've ever done, that sort of distance with. And then as the time went on and I started watching videos and 
you get quite excited seeing other people doing such a big challenge. And I thought, what the heck, let's just bypass the marathon. Let's go from a half marathon to, um, I suppose, an, you'd call it an ultra or well, more than an ultra. Um, so just really from your own mental well-being and, and challenging. But at the same time, um, I wanted to do it for some good causes as well. So it's doing it to help other people so yes it is for myself as well you know be selfish say it's not just for myself but it's nice to be able to help some causes out as well so it's 109 miles and are you because you come from the great north run are you going to be running it or walking it no, or what now to be honest north? um we sort of dream i've had I dream, I dream about this all the time i sit i either dream about gps devices i dream about um, events like this um i dreamt about becoming an ultra runner and thinking could I at the age I've got to change from just really a fun runner you know a decent long distance walker and become an ultra runner I'm not really quite there yet I'm going to be honest um I'm doing this more as a, a, a long distance challenge where there will be a little bit of running but most of it's going to be a very fast paced walk but my aim is if I can get this under my belt that I do challenge myself a bit further not necessarily on the distances um, as in running this distance, but being able to run some ultra runs as well. So I would like to become an ultra runner, but I think for the moment it's doing this as a as a walk run. Fantastic, and the training. So yeah, talk us through the training over the last six months. So how where we started and where you would come from and kind of where we've got to and kind of where we are within yeah. in so that I, training really. I suppose it started last year. I mean, it was actually going back to last summer when Jane persuaded us, my friend, to, to do it with her. And at the time I was training for the Great North Run, so half marathon. So yes, that was running. So I was doing my normal training for the half marathon. Um, I was actually running half marathon distances, not at mega fast speeds, but decent enough. So I just started expanding from that and taking the running just a little bit step further um, but to be honest, running-wise, I don't think I've really ran more than 15, 16 miles, if I was being honest. And I thought, at the minute, I, I don't think I'm at that stage of being being the, the long-distance runner. So I just started stepping back and looking at the hikes and the typical hikes that I've been doing. Most of my hikes, I'll be honest, were 10-mile walks, you mm-hmm. know, d- gentle day walks, enjoying the scenery. So I started pushing, really, the end of last summer, starting to do 15-mile walks, then some 20 mile walks, some 30 mile walks, and then to be honest, lots of 30 mile walks, just time on feet and just trying to do them at a faster pace, carrying weight. I mean, that's been the main thing. Normally, if I went out for a day, even doing a 20, 30 mile walk, I don't need a big pack with this. The part of the montane is you've got to have a lot of equipment for safety reasons uh, you're self-sufficient i should have said on the event so there's only one checkpoint i know you're going to talk about that a little bit more but it's it's carrying the kit and getting used to carrying that weight so lots of 30 miles carrying the weight and then basically built up to just about 60 miles um a couple of months ago and um, walking down the coast so i haven't done any further really than the 60 mile in one go but lots of sort of 25, 30 mile hikes in the hills as well. And if you could go back to when you started your trades, let's say post Great North Run last year, which would have been September time. If you go back to yourself then, what have you learned from September through to now? What have you learned about yourself, about your feet, about your kit to a lesser extent? But if you can go back and say, right, over this period, I've done my training I've now learned I need to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm just trying to get something for the listeners, really. Yeah. So they can actually, if they 
fancy yeah. doing this kind of thing what have what have you got from from doing that i'll start with feet because i think that's Ooh. one of the most important things and when you talk to the people on the mountain spine one of the biggest do not finishers dropouts is because of feet now everyone's going to be different there'll be people out there who do 10 15 mile walks and might get blisters and find they're having to do stuff to their feet i was someone who to be honest, I didn't really suffer from blisters, but that was doing 25, doing even doing the 25 mile walks, 30 mile walks. As soon as I've pushed up to, I suppose, getting up to the 30 miles and then pushing that little bit further and doing the 50, 60 miles, I'm realizing how much of a hammering your feet do take. And those little niggles and blisters I started getting at 50, 60 miles, what are they going to be like at 108 miles? So it's starting to think about you know, the socks a little bit more. I'm happy with my footwear. I have tried different footwear to get comfortable with. I'm wearing basically fell running trainers. I'm not wearing boots for this distance, walking boots, where typically if I was going for a day walk, it would have been hiking boots. So all my training's been with fell running trainers. Happy with the comfort of those, but it's been trying lots of different socks, learning that wearing two pair of socks, a liner sock. I'm wearing these toe socks that you might've seen people wear. Um, lots of different makes of socks I've had feet themselves it's looking at things like where, where do i start getting rubbing where do i get hot spots i don't know some listeners might have come across these little silicon tubes that was actually our friend paul in the mountain rescue recommended them to me because i find me little toes once i started getting past the 25 miles we're rubbing with the next toe and turning into nasty blisters so i've got these little silicon tubes that i've never used in my life that i now put on my toes um lots of moisturizer on my feet after i've done events keeping the feet nice and supple and, and just what listen you know i was going to say listening listening to your body and when you feel something doesn't feel right on your foot we talk about hot spots i didn't really know what people meant about hot spots still i started doing this training and you feel something i suppose getting hot on your feet and something doesn't feel right you take your sock off you can see your foot a little bit red don't leave it and think oh i can just keep going I practice taping. Some listeners might have heard about people taping their feet with this kinetic tape where you wrap tape around these sore points. Stuff I've never done before. So yeah, I mean, yeah, so that's me main, but it's really listening to what your feet are doing. And when you get any little niggle, when you know, even on the training events, when I thought, well, I'm not actually doing 108 mile today, you've got to think what would be like if I did do that. Let's practice putting tape on, putting blister plasters on. If people don't know, this is this tape that you can buy and it's like, um, and you see, if people have like seen an elite athlete, you see sometimes they, they tape their legs, they tape their arms, try and press off, but as you put it on your feet, it's a fantastic um, yeah. uh, extra layer. You call it kinetic it? tape. Yeah. yeah, a lot of athletes use it for, it's to pull the muscle tight when they've got a strain mm-hmm. to help it. Um, but yeah, you said, it was something that, you know, watching lots of videos and YouTube stuff about people doing these sort of events, you see them putting this tape round the potential hot pot, hot pots, hot spots on their feet. So yeah, that, that was that was the first thing. Um, the second thing I think was nutrition and uh, water. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing stuff, you know, the, the, the climate we've got in this country, it's so changeable. And yes, I'm doing this event in June, but it, you know, you know, hot, cold, rain, we can even get snow in June. Uh, and we know when it's cooler, you don't drink as much. I've surprised myself at how much I really do need to drink when it's warm and hot. So to realise how how much water you really do have to carry. And bear in mind, we're doing this event self-sufficient. There will be stop. We are allowed to stop at shops and replenish, but there's only actually one checkpoint on the one I'm doing. So you've got to think ahead about where am I going to fill up with water? I've got a filter bottle that lets me take water from streams and filter out the bacteria. 
I was really shocked doing these longer events when it's been hot. I've done a few in the heat in the last couple of months and looking at how much water I actually went through on even a um, a 30 mile and thinking that's a lot of water. So just being really co conscious of how much water and how much food you need to be eating as you move on those bigger distances. Brilliant. So your feet, uh, your nutrition, anything else or not? Um, I know you've been through a few rucksacks and things. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, equi of... equipment, um, clothing, I pretty much sussed out early on with regards to whether I'm wearing shorts, the type of... Okay, I go back to leggings. I don't know if you remember, John, we did um, a, G a walk with one of the GPSs on that really windy day up in the Cheviots and it was starting to rain. My legs were getting a bit cold. I think I'd started in shorts and I pulled these nice new waterproof trousers. I'd got quite heavyweight trousers and I was sick of them by the end of the day. They were rubbing. They were, I thought they were the right size, but they were starting to drop. I maybe lost a bit of weight. I don't know. And I just thought, I kind of get away with these. And those are the ones I'd bought a long time ago thinking these will be ideal for the montane. So trying different types of trousers, which ones feel comfortable. If it is going to rain, I need to have waterproof trousers, but they've got to feel comfortable, not be falling off my backside and not be rubbing. So yeah, trying different clothing. Um, rucksacks is a good one because I thought I'd nailed the rucksack. Lots of recommendations. Everyone's different. I'd pick the one I thought would be ideal. Loads of stuff with it, 20 miles, 30 miles. All of a sudden, I did that 50 mile down the coast, and I thought, this rucksack's not for me. It started, once I got to those bigger distances, it was digging in. I was getting bruised from it. it didn't, I didn't have the adjustment that I needed, which had been fine on the shorter distances. So it was a bit of a last minute thing, but about a month ago, I changed rucksacks, and then I've done a couple of half marathons and one long distance with the new rucksack, and I can tell straight away, it's right. It's got a lot more adjustment. So it is playing about with the kit. Not if you want it. It's difficult because when you're buying stuff, it's expensive. And then it has been, you know, that was probably my most expensive mistake with the backpack. Very good. Brilliant. So that's just some nice things that you've learned over time. So how quickly are you going to do it in then? So we're doing this 109 miles. What's what's the what's the cutoff time? And what? Yeah, so for the 109, we've got one checkpoint or one official checkpoint which is at Hebden Bridge. That's about 48 mile away from the start. We've got to get there within 24 hours for checkpoint one. Wow. Now, I've been told, and from all me, I haven't had a chance to wreck you a lot of the route. I have done bits of the Pennine Way before, but I've watched so many videos, and obviously you're getting advice from other competitors, people who have done it before. And I gather on the one we're doing, the first 30 mile is one of the toughest 30 miles. We have, you know, Jacob's Ladder, we're going across the Kinder Scout, plateau it is pretty hilly and i gather that 30 mile is pretty tough so it's a difficult one i've got to do that first 30 mile with sorry first 48 mile then within 24 hours i'd love to think we could do it in 18 19 hours um i just that, that's what i'm aiming for the full event the full 109 mile we've got 60 hours to do it in mm -hmm. so we're basically starting at eight o'clock in the morning on saturday mm -hmm and got to be finished by eight o'clock on Monday evening. Mm -hmm. The way I've been training and the sort of pace that I've sort of set myself, I know I've never done this distance yet, so it is going to be new and nothing, you just don't know the weather, different things could change. In my head, I would like to aim for a 50 hour maybe, might be a bit over that. I think if I just say, oh, I, I, I mean, really, I want to finish it. If I do it in 59 hours, I'll be chuffed to bits. I've done it. It's, it's a bit, I've never done something like this before. But in your head, you've always got to, I suppose, push yourself that little bit and have that target where, well, if I can try for this, I've got that bit of 
leeway in case things don't go quite right the weather changes in a way where i have to change clothes a lot more and that slows you down and other factors that might come into it and because i've never done this distance before in one go mm-hmm. but that would be nice if i could be closer to the 50 hours than the, than the 60 hours we've got to do it in i agree it's quite yeah it's quite like quite tight two miles an hour for the first uh to the first checkpoint isn't it which is a lot of climbing in that as well so yes. and and potentially are you going to sleep now? I suppose it comes out. Are you going to sleep in that first 24 hours? Have we got a plan to do that? Yeah, I'm not, um, when I did the coastal path as one of my training routes, so that was, um, we did 20 hours non-stop. I don't know if it was just the adrenaline and maybe I'd drunk too much Lucasade, but I just did not feel tired. I didn't have any sleep on that 20 hours. Um, but again, I knew, I suppose mentally in my head, I knew I was only doing 60 miles and not 108 miles. Listening to other people who competitors and taking advice, you know, taking advice from our good friend Paul and the Mountain Rescue who's done the event before is when you get to that first checkpoint, most people haven't, you won't have slept before then. So you get to that first checkpoint. A lot of people just think that's the first checkpoint. I need to put my head down and go to sleep. But you've got so much adrenaline going and listening to advices. If you don't feel ready to drop and you're still able to carry on, stop at that checkpoint. You're going to stop anyway. Sort your feet out if they need to be, your clothes, you get a hot meal, have a little bit of a rest, but maybe push on a little bit further. There's lots of unofficial places you can find to put your head down. You've got to carry one of the parts of the kit you've got to carry is a bivy bag. I'll have nice warm clothes. So I don't think I'll be stopping at that checkpoint one. I think it's more than likely I'll push on a bit further and it might be more 20 hours, a little bit for, you know, I think actually I'm going to drop down and have a few hours sleep now or a couple of hours sleep. You don't put your head down and have six or seven hours sleep. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to do that. So it may just be a couple of hours power nap, set me watch to make sure I don't, if I am on my own at that stage, that I don't, um, that I do wake up. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it may be that further down the line, you do the same again another couple of hours. It's not, it, it's it's not like your normal day where, oh, it's nighttime, let's go to bed now. You're, you're going to be walking through the night and just pushing on it's a challenge at the end of the day we've got to do but you've got to have at the end of the day listen to your body and have rest as well yeah because it's gonna be quite because if you're you start at eight you said in the morning, eight o'clock in the so morning, really yeah. you've got to yeah it's quite a nervous start before that you're going to be up at six or something like that are oh, you yeah, know, I could imagine, yeah you're going to be you're going to be by the time you hit that start line at eight o'clock is you've already had you no know, two hours of nervous energy and checking and double checking i would be anyway right, so, uh, so it's just going to be along that first day and and uh, i suppose that nicely moves into the climbing really so how much climbing are we going to be doing over the the whole the whole distance and also let's let's get concentrate on that checkpoint one how lot how much climb do we know how much climb it is before that checkpoint one yeah i mean one? actually when i looked at the full route um i had to figure i think in feet if i remember rightly so it was something like seventeen thousand um ascent and descent total across the total distance now these are just rough figures as an mm-hmm. estimate but i noticed the first 48 mile that's 14,000 feet of descent and descent wow. of that total, 17,000. Mm-hmm. So I think they are right when they say that first 40-odd mile is the tough 40-odd mm-hmm. mile. So, yeah, there's going to be a fair bit of climbing. So I think it, it's funny. I was I, I was thinking in my head that when you start something like this, you're, well, you're, you're fresher than when you've been walking for 40-odd miles. Yes, I might not have had an early start and not you know get up early because of the nerves and everything but you're going to be as fresh as you can be that i would push on quite fast but the more and more i've read into lots of advice from other people doing the event is don't push yourself too much at the start i mean i've heard some good comments where people are saying new people new to ultra running and new to these type of events it's very rare you hear them say i started too 
um, slow. It's normally them saying, I started too fast and burnt myself out. I think I've just got to, I mean, look, some of the equipment I'm using will keep me right with my pace and I'll have equipment that's telling me, you know, if you don't push on a bit faster, you ain't going to get to that first checkpoint within the cutoff time. So I'll know from looking at the equipment what I need to do. And I think, you know, I've just got to pace myself and, and, and do the best I can. As far as I'm aware, you've not yet hit a wall, have you? Because in your, your training, you've always managed to get there and done all right with it. Yeah. Both... I know when I've done these things in the past, I've hit a wall. A Paul we've had on the podcast before has also hit a yeah. wall. So I'm actually interested to see, you may never hit that wall. <laughs> I've done it where I just go, bang, I've got to stop now. So I'm actually interested if you hit that, but you've not hit it yet, but it'd be interesting to know if you do have that same So Did Jane, the girl you're doing with, did she hit something yeah, similar? Yeah, I mean, interesting. I mean, just, Jane, my friend who I'm doing it with, who's got me inspired really to do the event, she did so well last year. Now, bear in mind, a lot of people do not finish. A lot of people drop out. I mean, I think there's normally about 300 people take part in the Challenger. And I, I, I should have looked up these figures, but sometimes I think it can be 50% drop mm-hmm. out, you know. Jane, last year when she did it, she got to, it was about 100 mile, I think, so so close to the finish. She still had time to do it, and she hit that wall. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been a mixture of body and body, mind and food, a bit of everything, but she said that she just didn't have the energy. She was starting to hallucinate a bit. She said the rocks were talking to her. She was in a way where, you know, it could have been down. It would have been a very hot day. Did you have the right amount of water that day? Various reasons, but she got so close, and I think that's a tremendous effort. Hence, she wants to do it again and really, I mean, things she can take on board, all the things she did last year and what she needs to potentially change. So, yeah, I mean, I could hit that wall. It's whether the wall is physically from your body not being able to continue. I'm hoping, I'm, you know, I'm in pretty good shape. I've been going to see a sports therapist on a regular basis for massages and things to keep everything right. But it's getting that food right. I know you, you, we've probably all been there before where you do a long day's walk, you're feeling a bit tired, it's a bit warm, and you go past that point where you think, oh, I wish I'd eaten, I feel a bit lightheaded now. Now, it doesn't matter if you're doing that day walk, maybe as serious, because you know you're just about at your car and what have you. But with this type of event, the advice I've been given is don't let it get to that stage because it's very mm. hard to pull it back. So someone described it as, I like some of the comments on the official Montaigne pages, pages as it's a 108 mile buffet or a 268 mile buffet. People, All people talk about is the food and what they're going to eat. And I'm one of these who does eat constantly. So I'm going to have lots of snacks and just, con- you know, if I'm feeling just the faintest bit, oh, I fancy something. Oh, should I wait a bit longer? No. I'm going to eat something. Mm-hmm. Keep that energy going. I don't want to hit the, I'd be really annoyed at myself if my body was fine. And I failed because of not drinking enough water or not eating enough, getting enough food and energy in us, you know. So what are you going to eat then? What's on the air diet for the walk then? Oh, I've got a right mixture. Now, bear in mind, we are able to stop. It's self-sufficient, so you can't have a friend can't turn up and give you stuff. You can if he's going to give all 300 people something. Mm-hmm. So there will be the odd unofficial stop where because they're doing it for everyone, but you can stop at shops and things. So but you've got to make sure you carry a lot as well. Now, I think they only said, the organisers, it was something like 1,500 calories. Now, I know on the winter one, it's 3,000 calories. Now, this is really just your emergency supply. Now, I've got close at the 3,500 calories. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be over the top than under. So I've got a mixture of the typical things a lot of people, I suppose, would carry on on long walks and things. I've got OT energy bars. I love me Snickers bars. So I've got, again, I haven't, I've got a right mixture. So a couple of Snickers bars, some Oaty bars. I like my little pots of rice pudding. 
it's it's a bit liquidy it's it's if your throat's feeling a bit dry it's quite nice to have but it weighs a little bit so i've only got a couple of those jelly you know the jelly that we make for our children's parties and things or adults if we eat jelly i've got a jelly block because that's high energy nice and soft um turkish delight nice and soft again and sweet i've got i'm trying to think savory wise have i got some savory wise um oh i've got i've got a very posh um smoked sausage of some sort i can't remember where an italian sausage uh so that'll be interesting that's something i've not carried before but i thought just to have something savory um welsh cakes i've got some welsh cakes some ginger parking cake wrapped up in tin foil that's probably a, um, some so i have got sweets and some jellies um that's probably most of the high energy stuff i have got a couple of energy gels but i'm one of these i don't know what you know everyone out there will have different opinions to the gels and one of those they do give us a boost and they do give us that quick energy when i need it but something i have had over the years it's not been great on me tummy if i've taken loads of gels hence i've only got a couple in the pack i may not use them they're there more for an emergency it's that last push-up penny penny gains is the oh, gel is get, yeah the end and i got penny gains. so they may get used nearer you're right nearer the end because if something's not i mean they always say don't start trying new stuff yeah. it's no point i mean i have used the gels before so don't it's not like something i know what to expect from them but i know if i'd you know there'll be people popping gels all the time because they can get away with them that's not me so they're more there for emergency um oh i forgot my yogurt coated banana chips there they're a necessity uh, yogurt coated banana chips and i think i've got some cashew nuts so Fantastic. a right mix mm -hmm. but there is um i've got to give a, a big big up because i've heard so much about this while we're talking about food all anyone talks about on the montane is something called nikki's nikki's burger van it's a lady who um it's somewhere it's where the m the pennine way crosses the m62 mm -hmm. so she's there all the time normally but for this event she stays open 24 hours you give your order in advance for like a bacon sandwich or a veggie burger or a beef burger or whatever i think it's amazing that we can be we could be in the middle of the night it could be two o'clock in the morning about to go across the m62 and there's a burger van open there for us so that will be one of the food stops. and how far is that into it then roughly? i think that's about 30 30 mile into right, it okay. so 30 mile i'll be yeah, looking yeah. forward to that burger that sounds a nice meal after 30 miles wouldn't it so moving on to the navigation side of it so we've kind of discussed this a little bit in the podcast so we don't want to spend too long on it but how are you going to navigate i know for a fact because we've done a video that's been uploaded today you've got the gpx file for the event off the event organizers which is the official yeah. route data yeah. for gps units and gps watches haven't you yeah. so what are you using to navigate and well what do you have to carry do you have to carry a map with you so or? interestingly when you do the summer one it's not compulsory to take an electronic gps device but it is highly recommended you do the winter one you've got to take a gps device so it's recommended everyone's got to take a map and a compass so i have got maps and compass i know how to use them i like my maps and compass they are in the bag as a backup but I like say the organizers recommend a GPS device. Uh, we've got all the scenarios we've talked about over the years. You know, it's wet, it's windy, it's dark. You're trying to hold your map and read it. A GPS device is so much quicker. So yes, I have got, um, I've got my GPS map 86i, which you'll have heard on podcasts before. That's the handheld unit I use with Ordnance Survey Maps. But I've also got a Phoenix 7 Garmin watch because I find, and again, just talking advice from my friend who did it last year and talking to other competitors, you want to keep your hands free as possible on a lot of parts of the course i've got put i forgot i've got walking poles so i'll be using my poles and i think you want as least 
trying to hold a handheld device i'm not saying it's not going to be possible but i think when i'm using the poles i think just having that watch with the route that the organizers given us just to keep us right i mean i know a lot of the pennine way is well marked but because of the storms we had early in the year there is diversions um i've been told sometimes some of the trickier bits aren't when you're up in the hills because Pennine Way is what it is. It's marked well, but sometimes it's bits when you come into the more urban environments and you're tired. It's two o'clock in the morning. You're trying to work your right way around a little village and up some streets. So I think just being able to glance at something that's backlit electronically, that's got a line for me to follow and zoom in on it, it's going to make it so much easier and quicker. So yeah, you know, not everyone's going to have the beauty necessarily to carry two devices, but I like the fact I've got something on my wrist for quick and ease. Um, good but brilliant battery life but I've got a handheld device if I need do need to at any time to pull out and see a bigger picture of an ordnance survey map up ahead. So thinking then so you're saying potentially 50 60 hours GPS won't last that long will it? No so the watch I've got the Phoenix 7's got the big battery that's why I went for that unit it's the 7x actually the Phoenix 7x I'm pretty comfortable from all the testing I've done on my watch that it will do the 60 hours. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to say 100% on that unless someone goes, you know, I do something wrong with me settings. I'm happy with that. The handheld device, it's more than likely going to do more like the 20 hours. Maybe squeeze, I have squeezed more out of it before. So what I'm planning to do with a handheld device, mine actually does the tracking because it's got the inReach built in. I haven't fully decided yet. I'll explain why in a second on how the organisers give you a track and I know we're going to talk about that. But from your own peace of mind, I was going to leave it on all the time. But that does mean I've got to think about when I get to that checkpoint one, that's when the battery will be getting quite low on it. Am I going to stop there long enough to get it fully charged? Now, it does charge really quick. I'm carrying in my... You have a kit bag that you can leave... Uh, with the organizers at the start and they take that to checkpoint one so it has all your normal like your spare food spare clothes etc but in that kit bag i've got a large gold zero power bank because i've been told when you get the checkpoint sometimes you're all fighting for plug sockets so i thought if i've got something in my bag that i can just pull out it's got all the cables in ready to charge my phone if my phone needs charging charge me gps if it needs charging and charge me headlight if it needs charging all the cables are there ready so i don't have to think about it so that's probably what i'll end up doing with a handheld getting it plugged in for an hour at that checkpoint while i'm on route if i do decide i want to leave it on the old all the time i do have a little portable power bank that would actually give it one full charge as well right okay but i'm more interestingly it's more the watch it's funny we used to always say the handhelds the bigger battery lasts longer but the watches have changed so much that i've now got to watch that will go past that 60 hours so so even if you just charge your gps for save you at the checkpoint for half an hour or something that's going to give you a good boost and then you also in your rucksack you've got another power pack that would yeah. give it another charge so that would kind of get you through wouldn't it? yeah i have i know it sounds at this late stage i haven't made the decision i think if if i was doing something on my own not through an organized event I would want that tracker going all the time for peace of mind. Maybe this for is family. The tracker on your, this is on me Garmin. Yeah. It's got the inReach track. And if any of you don't know, I pay a subscription. And friends and family who I've given this link to can track me every 10 minutes. The difference is because it's an organised event and the type of people the Montaigne are, oh, they're very good. That It's all about safety and looking after the competitors. Hence, we have this comprehensive list of what we've got to carry, which is brilliant, you know, to keep you safe. But they also give you a tracking device that you get fitted on the Saturday morning. Now that tracking device, because it's not a GPS with a for navigation with a screen and other fancy things, the battery will 
go past the 60 hours has an SOS button on it. So that's something where um, the event organisers can track where we are. They can tell if we've stopped. If we do stop for more than anything that's going to be close to an hour, I know it depends on mobile signal. That's why they always say, look at your phone first before you decide to stop. They'd rather you stop somewhere where there's a mobile signal because you've got to ring the event organisers and tell them you're stopping. Right. So they don't send someone up to try and find out what's happened if you had an accident or you're poorly. Um, so it's really well organised in that event. So I'll be able to give everyone, you'll all be able to dot watch me if you want. There's an app, um, a tracking app that they use. I think it's called the Open Tracking. I'm going to get the details before the end of the week for you. And you'll be able to track me with that tracker. Hence, going back to the handheld, it's one I haven't decided yet whether to have the Garmin tracking because I really don't need it. And in that case, I could just turn it on when I want to use the maps and I'll never have to charge it. So I'll make that decision in the next day to what I'm going to do with that. Fantastic. Good stuff. So what, and this is your final question before we kind of push on, is, is what's the most important thing in your rucksack that you're taking with you? What's the most important? If you could, there's one thing that you kind of thought that's been the, actually let's have, yeah, yeah. One, one essential yeah. one and one luxury. It's like Desert Island Discs, isn't yeah, it? Is, you know? so, so what's the most important thing in your rucksack that you kind of think, this is, this is I need this because that's just the most important thing. And I also want to know that like, a luxury that you're taking with you, think, I'm, I'm looking forward to having this yeah. this point or or I'm, I've got this. Yeah, so, so um, I don't have to think, I, I thought I'd have to think hard about this when you first put me on the spot there. Essential, to me, I mentioned at the start, the two things that got me thinking when I started doing these distances, feet. So it was feet by feet and food, so the two Fs. So feet, first aid kit, obviously, we've got to carry with various medicate, you know, antihistamines and different things you've got to carry. But it's the foot care equipment I've got because that is the thing. I'd be so annoyed if me, everything's feeling good. I've got the right energy levels. My muscles are feeling good. And a bloody bl pardon the light, a blister stops me. <laughs> doing the event so i think it's having that right the right plasters the right i've got the tape already cut mm -hmm. in the first is it rock kit. tape please um, is it, is it rock uh, tape? i mean i bought rock tapes a brand it's kinetic tape yeah. so yeah mm -hmm. it's the tape already cut i've got this spray that's like an antiseptic spray that was recommended that you spray on the blister first um put the tape on got mole skins so i think it really is it's the foot care stuff and then your luxury that you're taking with you that luxury, you can it's got to be an item of food it has to be <laughs> for me as well don't it's got to be um what are you looking for i think you know you mentioned your turkish delight and that kind of thing what are you going to uh, at this point when i when you hit the target whether it's whatever it's going to be you're going to go i'm going to have this at this point you know <laughs> it's my little tins of rice pudding i swear by them <laughs> it's something that it was again a friend who recommended he was talking about different things to carry and sometimes you get sick of the chocolate or the dry taste and things and it's something that's just a bit liquidy I, I dabbled with custard pots but i don't know the custard pots didn't do it for me so the, the rice pudding pots they're just they're sweet they're soft they're liquidy um you know i don't normally get excited on a friday night and say i'm going home and for me tea tonight i'm having a rice pudding but actually when you're out in the hills and you're tired and you just want something quickly to eat i really do like them fantastic do you know when you talk about the porridge or you're on going back to the food is are you going to heat the up hot water of the porridge? Are you not? Or um, oh, sorry, no. The bar I've got like porridge bars. Okay, right. Um, so they're like oaty porridge. You know, you get this. Um, I'm not mentioning the brand. I'm not that worried too much about. Um, but yeah, you can buy like bar like porridge bars right. that are already made. Um, so that's what I tend to. 
I think um, competitors taking part in the longer event, it's a different kettle of fish. They do take a lot of this hydrated, um, dry, yeah, you know, the yeah, sort yeah. of food, I mean, and then they do find places where they can put water. I mean, some of them you can put cold water, I mean, not as nice as if you can get warm water. But with the distance I'm doing, even though, yes, it's still a fair old distance, I'm not needing to to carry that sort yeah. of food, you know. You're not going to be preparing a hot meal yourself no. for that. Um, see, should, except for the checkpoint burger, one, we get. Um, actually, I should have said at checkpoint one, they give you a hot meal. So, actually, I'd be very lucky at the thirty mile. I'm going to have had a burger yeah. or whatever I get, and then at forty eight miles, so actually just another sixteen, seventeen, eighteen mile, you get a hot meal at that checkpoint one. Fantastic, <laughs> good stuff, brilliant. Anything I've missed out there, Andy, that you think he's... he's see, that's quite funny. No, normally, before we do a podcast, I give Andy the notes of the questions of what we're going to discuss. Because I'm interviewing him, you've had these hidden from him. So Andy's turned up with lots of yellow sticky labels with all these stats in front of him, where normally... He, I, I didn't I, know what you were going to he, ask us. I, I, I thought I, I'm going to write some things down. I, I mean, I haven't written a lot down. It was just more of um, Stats and things of the book. Yeah. Uh, it was more just the stats. Um, a couple of things I was going to mention... Um, I think some of the people doing these events are amazing. Um, I was just, when you asked me how long it was going to take me to do it, I think anyone who does it, if you can just complete it, it's great. But I was looking at what the records were, you know, and the record um, the record for uh, a male doing it, uh, I think it was a gentleman called Mark Denby, apologies if I've got that wrong, um, was 23 hours, 53 minutes. That's amazing. This is for the, the challenger. And there was a lady, again, apologies if I got this wrong, it was just from the information off the webpage, Lisa Wallace, 31 hours, 33 minutes. So one, I just want, you know, a big shout out to everyone doing all of them, the full one, the sprint, I mean, God, they call it the sprint, it's 46 miles, a hell of a distance as well. <laughs> you know, brilliant. There's some amazing athletes out there. So that was one thing I was going to mention. And if it's okay to give a little well, that's plug exactly to... what we're going to do. We're going to do this. First of all, we need to know your number before we start plugging. Oh, yes. So people who want to dot watch, I'll put a link in the... Well, the newsletter's going out on Friday. You'll have a link into the uh, the live spine race. And and if you've not dot watched before, you literally go onto there and you put in the number. What's your number, Andy? Yeah, so my number is 110. Nice, easy one to remember. So when you so. get the open tracking link, there's a few events going on. So it's the Spine Challenger, 110. If you can't search by number, you'll certainly be able to put a name in. I don't think there's anyone else with my surname when I looked at the list. So Air, A-Y-R-E, should bring me... Up. It's got me posh Sunday name Andrew rather than Andy, but it'll be on as Andrew. Uh, so that's really, so basically, I'll put that in the newsletter on Friday as well. If you listen to the podcast beforehand, it'll be the newsletter on Friday. The link, live link to the tracker, um, and then we can uh, we can look for you that way. Um, just giving is the other one. So you're raising uh, two just, charities. What are the charities yeah, that we're raising just for? Just really quickly, I wanted to give a big big up to um, my next door neighbour. Used to be in the mountain rescue, and his wife was also in the mountain rescue. She sadly died a few years ago after battling MS for many years. Even when she had MS, she was still in the Northumberland Mountain Rescue working in the control room. And I'd always promised my neighbour that I'd love to do something to help with the charity that helped him and his wife, helped him as well. Um, and also Mike is our support during the event. So I should really give him a big up. He's actually t helping us put the tents up at the end, driving us to the start, taking us to the start with our kit bags and then hanging around for the whole three days and meeting us at the end, which is really lovely of him. So the two charities I'm doing on me just given page, um, which I'm sure you'll all be, you know, hopefully can help and support. There's one called the MS Research and Relief Fund, which is actually based in Northumberland. And they looked after my neighbor um, and I mean, um, 
and who um, the lady who had DMS and her husband, they were brilliant. But what also links it nice is because they were both in the mountain rescue, I'm also doing it for Northumberland National Parks mountain rescue team who do an invaluable service um well all over the country the mountain rescue all volunteers am i able to give me just give us your yes brilliant um so just giving i'm using um it's a um the website you know the www.justgiving.com and then i've got forward slash team t-e-a-m forward slash andy air so a-a-y-r-e spine challenger all one word so justgiving.com forward slash team forward slash Andy Airspine. And over the weekend, I will put that regularly into the GPS Training Facebook page and also on Twitter and things. So I'll keep sharing that as you're dot watching. And uh, a little bit of personal experience here, Andy, actually, you need to occasionally look at your Just Giving page when you feel a bit knackered and you're a bit down on the pod, uh, on the pod, on the walk, sorry. Look at your Just Giving and go, wow, because it's the most inspiring thing to see people giving you money when you're walking because actually you start yeah. off an amount and when I mean, you're feeling that bit down in the middle of the night, look at your Just Giving page and that will cheer you up because yeah. I think you'll... you'll I mean, it. you know, the we all have different charities close to my heart and we all have... You know, I wanted to do it for myself but when Anne was around, I mean, this was my next door neighbour as well, she was the most determined person ever. I mean, when I first met her, she'd, you know, she was walking with two walking sticks and we're doing some stuff in the garden and railway sleep. Oh, can I give you a hand with that railway sleep? I had to carry it around your garden. She kept on fighting and fighting and the fact that she was still in the mountain rescue, even though she couldn't go up the hill. So again, that's where, you know, we all, I've picked various charities over the years for things for different family reasons, but I thought it was just nice to do something for two charities that I've never done any for before and it, do, it gives you the motivation as well to go ahead and do do what you're doing you know fantastic so from all the team at gps training and all the listeners of the gps training podcast good luck for uh, saturday morning thank you uh, we'll all be dot watching you um for the coming <laughs> days and uh eight, you finish eight o'clock on monday that's the cutoff time eight, eight o'clock monday night Sorry. so you're back and work on tuesday andy are you uh, <laughs> wednesday <laughs> Yeah, Wednesday. I've got it. I've got a day off just to give a little bit of rest. Because uh, we're, well, we're staying at the campsite on Monday night anyway, so we'll be heading back Tuesday morning from uh, Hard Rock. So I hope before you finish on Thursday night, you're going to run to the bottom of the stairs. So people don't know, GPS team, we're upstairs. So you're going to run up the stairs on the Thursday morning with a spring in your step. And then next time you come up the stairs on Wednesday morning, it might be a little bit harder, I suspect. Yeah, yeah I could imagine, yeah. A little bit of rest, but thank you. Have you got the bath salts ready for the... Uh, I've got the Epsom salt already. Yeah, Epsom salts already. <laughs> a big lie in the bath when you get back to recover. Yeah. So, yeah, thank, best of luck, Junkie Side. Best of luck. It's a fantastic achievement. And uh, we'll all be dot watching you. And, uh, yeah, and, and please, please, um, listeners of the podcast, know Andy's a great member of the team here. Please do donate in whichever way you can. I know he'll be very well appreciated. And then what we're going to do is get you back on the podcast um, post event. We'll give you a week or two to recover, (laughs) to block out all the mental torture that you're going to go through. And then you can think of a positive note. Then we'll do a mid-month podcast next month, middle of July. And uh, we'll go through there and see exactly where you come from. So thanks very much, Andy. And uh, best of luck for the weekend. Thanks for listening to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation.